I'm Jeff Hakeem, founder of MCM Wealth. Welcome to our podcast today. We do these podcasts to advise families, business owners, and health professionals. Our approach is to build customized portfolios for each client while offering comprehensive financial planning services. Thank you for joining us today on this educational journey designed to protect your future. Hello, and welcome to the MCM Podcast. I'm Wendy McConnell. Today, we will be talking with Kirk Lowry, Portfolio Strategist at MCM and Managing Member of Advisable Wealth Engines. Hello and welcome, Kirk. It's good to see you again. And same for me. It's always good to be here, Wendy. Thanks for having me. All right. So today, we're going to be talking about forecasting follies. Well, this sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. There, there, there's no doubt a, a bit of commentary in that title, right? <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about the first word, forecasting. How do you describe that particular issue? Well, in the main, forecasting is predicting the future in pretty much any capacity. And we do this all the time. I love what Yogi Berra said. He said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, true. So it, it's all true in, in his inimitable way. We make forecasts because it makes our life more efficient. And, and in reality, Wendy, forecasts is part of our, of our human creativity. You know, we're able to sample our world as we sit literally in this instant and think about what's going to happen in the coming minutes and hours. And because we have creativity, we can take things, will impact the probability of what can come. So if you're looking to go out and take a walk in the neighborhood and you see that it's cloudy, well, you can say that there's some likelihood of rain. You may still go ahead and do, but you can prepare. And forecasting allows us to live our lives in a much more interesting way because we can spend our time on more productive things about the likelihood of things happening in our world. And this filtering is really a way to allow us in our capacity as humans with creativity and insight and thoughts to make decisions. And we make thousands and thousands of decisions every day. And that's not what we're focused on here for this podcast. Forecasting, by its definition, is useful. It's important. It helps us move through the world. But the other part of, of this podcast, Forecasting Follies, is like in a lot of things, there's a, a downside, a different side of the goodness of what we can achieve through forecasting. And unfortunately, that is so much involved in impacting our world and how we think of our world, how we think of other people, how we process things, how we manage our thoughts, our emotions, our checkbooks, our wallets, all those things are impacted by the foolish side, I think, of forecasting. And that's what we want to focus on today. So when we're talking about forecasting the weather, they never have to get it right. So what? how does that impact what we're talking about today? <laughs> is it a guess or is it a little more like of a, an informed guess? Well, it's an informed guess. And what that means is uh, 
when we're dealing in the very, very near future, the next half hour, we can forecast what's going to happen with high accuracy, partly because we have a lot of control over the time we spend in that half hour. And when we can control things, then the likelihood of something happening is going to be very high. The issue with forecasting generally, though, is there's a lot of factors that we can't control, but we can start putting probabilities around what can happen. And to defend the weather forecasters a bit <laughs> is too often they do exactly what they're supposed to do. It says there's a 60% chance of rain. So in our minds, what we have to do is we have to interpret what is a 60% likelihood. 60% says six out of 10. Well, there's four chances in 10 it may not rain and that's useful, but the, the issue they face is they're doing it by the hour. They're literally putting probabilities, if you use weather.com, probabilities of precipitation by the hour, but that's just unknowable because it's impacted by the speed of the wind and other factors and how the, the oceans are churning and tides and all these things. They just don't know. So there's some overstepping of what can be predicted when they start doing that. But it's very effective and useful to say that there's a 70% chance that it's going to rain because I may not need my umbrella, but what am I going to do? I'm going to bring it in case I do. And that helps. That helps us plan things out. You know, rain is one thing, snow is another. So if we're planning for a trip and there's a 70% chance of blizzard, then I may leave a little bit earlier or I may postpone altogether that day. That's really useful for me to think through how I want to manage my day or days as efficiently as possible. So it's really the setting these boundaries and understanding expectations that gets in the problem of what can be oftentimes useful ways of thinking and predicting uh, the way the, the future will unfold. Well, it looks like that sometimes forecasts are offered for kind of ulterior motives. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? This uh, crosses over, I think, into something of the nature of the uh, seven deadly sins. <laughs> There's greed. Forecasters that have a greed motive that want fame, which can be a part of greed, which want power in forecasting, want to control other people's behaviors. That can include forecasts that generate fear. All of these things are there. And this is really where the world of forecasting crosses over to uh, the dark side. Because the happy and content you know, weather forecaster that just does their job and looks at their stats and makes their predictions for the goodness of their job and the people that are listening to them or watching them, we're not talking about that here. We're talking about the forecasters who put out forecasters, forecasts, excuse me, that are designed to get attention. You know, sometimes this is in the area of, of trolling, disinformation, and those kinds of things that create a distortion that is not allowing us to process things with some measure of reality. And they're doing it for their own benefit. And when I say their own benefit, it may not just be the individual, 
It may be the organization they work for. It may be the people they associate with. This is where we are led astray with this. And unfortunately, with the way things go and the way information is distributed, it may be a very small percentage of forecasters, but they can have a very large footprint in impacting so many of us. Are there good motives for forecasting? We talked about some of these. Uh, forecasting allows us to prepare. And the better we prepare, the more efficient our life becomes, both in the time we spend and the resources we deploy for whatever we're doing. Uh, preparation is very important. So again, going back to the probabilities, if there's 100% of something to happen, uh, then I can proceed with great confidence. And as we go work our way down in those probabilities, I can start creating contingency planning. It's like the umbrella. So if there's a 60% chance of rain, I may bring an umbrella, or instead of walking, I may drive. You know, weather is an obvious example of this, but there's many applications that go along with this. If I'm thinking of making a, a big purchase and there's a uh, an 80% chance that the Federal Reserve will increase interest rates, I may rush to make my purchase now because of that probability. And so all of that helps me and helps the world in working through this in just planning and preparation. The other thing is partly in taking inputs, facts and hypotheses into a model, we come up with probabilities. Well, nothing is certain in many instances like this, but it can stir debate. It can bring other people into our thinking. So they may have an insight just about their own experience, their own brain power to help formulate those possibilities, those probabilities. They also may bring with them uh, a better set of facts that can refine those probabilities. They can also bring experience to say, well, if such and such has a likelihood of happening, here's another way to mitigate the downside of that, to have a contingency. So there's a lot of things that can happen when you start pushing forward probabilities and potentialities and solutions and all these things that go with that. And it helps us move along the way. You know, scientists do this every day. And basically what we're talking about in forecasting generally is what is known as scientific inquiry. Every scientist that practices goes into a thought, a creative thought with a hypothesis. And that hypothesis is a prediction. So what do they do to prove their hypothesis? They create experiments. And you go in with, you spend your time on the experiment you think that has the highest probability of proving your hypothesis. If it doesn't, it doesn't mean you failed, it means you learned. And that's in many ways what we're talking about. It's in that creative cycle of having a hypothesis, experimenting for its truth, learning that it's not true, it's false, and then taking that new information, the, the falseness of the hypothesis and refining it and just repeating and repeating and repeating. Eventually, we lower the 
probabilities of things that can happen. And when we lower the probabilities, what does that mean? We increase our certainty. And we increase our certainty, we can start acting upon that. And that scientific thought, that scientific inquiry is really what we're talking about. If we can start doing that without the seven deadly sins <laughs> that too many forecasters have, then we as, as a community, as a society, will benefit. I imagine there are some problematic forecasts. Can you tell me about some of those? Well, the one that I get stung with all the time is the price of oil. And I often use this as an example. And the reason I use it as an example is uh, there is no more important commodity in the world than the price of oil and the derivatives of oil, you know, gasoline and jet fuel and uh, diesel and plastics and all these other things that are derived from it. There is no loss of resources in trying to predict the price of oil. There's no limits to the brain power deployed to predict the price of oil. And yet we so often get it wrong. As we're sitting here today, the last day of October and Halloween, I think back two weeks ago, there were predictions as the price of oil was increasing because of the turmoil in the Middle East that the price of oil could go to $100. This is just two weeks ago. Well, today it's in the low 80s. It's come down substantially. So the issue is not that these forecasters have ulterior motives. I don't believe that most of them do. Some do, but most don't. It's just that they're trying to predict something that is often uh, unknowable. So one of the issues we face with forecasts is predicting the unknowable, these global macro factors that we just can't figure out. Sometimes because they're not controlled. Climate is a perfect example. Natural disasters is a perfect example. Some in which some people can control, like dictators, <laughs> can, can decide whether they go to war or not. Peacemakers can decide whether they want to negotiate peace or not. But in most instances, we, we just have no input into that. So we, we go along the way. And yet forecasts still, still come. You know, again, a great quote you know, from Warren Buffett says, we've long felt the only value of stock forecasts is to make fortune tellers look good. You know, and I think that's really, really right on target because it drives me crazy that every day you wake up, at least I wake up and I look at my, my news feed and it talks about stock futures that were playing out in the global markets. And by the end of the day, so often those futures, which are specific to predicting what's going to happen the next day, are wrong. Or I think of all the betting lines on sports. I like to follow sports. And, you know, you have the, the, the game in which the opponent is a four-touchdown underdog, and yet they win, right? And all these things go into what ultimately is unknowable. But what our focus is here today is on those forecasters who have ulterior motives or present a level of certainty and truth that they do not have and state it in such a declarative way that it gets in the headlines. And these are things such as not just the price of oil, of inflation, of investments, of 
the outcomes of wars and politics and all these things that in many ways, if you look at what we consume in information, that's a pretty good percentage of what comes across our day. What do you think the most damaging thing could be with these types of forecasts? The implication of a declarative forecast. And what I mean again is that not potential outcomes in which each has a probability, that's good information, but in which the forecaster picks one. And in some cases they are required in their employment to make that call. We see this a lot in Wall Street where the forecasters, the economists make a call about where they believe things are going. And that's just a disservice to them and to their audience because they really should be saying, here's how I believe that things can happen. And I'll put some probabilities, but let's be clear that they all have some outcome. And part of this is in probabilities is a, is a challenge. And in investing, there are a lot of tools that help us think of these probabilities. One of them is called Monte Carlo simulation. And it's Monte Carlo around, you know, the Monte Carlo table where you, you know, you pick a number and you let the ball rest on it. And it's, it's a randomness algorithm. And you'll get these forecasts for both financial plans for individuals, but also in, in economics around these simulations that predict these probabilities and they'll say 90%. Well, we process that like the weather and we say, well, that's really pretty darn certain. I'm not gonna bring my umbrella or I'm gonna put $10,000 more into the market because of that probability. But I turn it around and I say something like this. If you have a heart problem and you're going in for a surgery and you go into a cardiologist and in the waiting room, there are 10 people with the same heart problem. And the surgeon comes out and says, all right, you're all gonna have the same surgery. So let me tell everybody at the same time what's gonna happen. And he ends up saying, or she ends up saying, one of you will die from the surgery. There's a 10% chance, nine will make it great, go on and live your life, but one will die. I don't wanna hear that, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody in that room, doesn't look at that probability with high confidence because the consequences are so great. Right. Because you have to look not only at the prediction and the probability, but the consequences. And that is so often missed. And that's where we run into these distortions. So what ends up happening is we get these forecasters that make these declarations because they have to make the call and you get others that are making the call, what ends up happening is we realize that we're in a fact-free world. Because how am I to judge when to your call on where the market is going and my call on the market is going when you know, we both have our reasons and we present those reasons and we have all the resources and education and everything else to think about it and yet our calls are so different. And, you know, and we see this in not just in economic things, but in how people interpret, you know, the Bible as an example, <laughs> something, a historical document, and people have their belief or their forecast of what all this means. It, it, it just permeates. So we end up in a fact-free world and you, in a fact-free world, forecasts become meaningless, but that's not how we process all of that. And we end up 
with a lot of fear and uncertainty. Why are forecasts so common then? We see them all the time. It's a really simple reason because we're more comfortable in thinking about our day if we know how the future will unfold. But not if it's wrong. <laughs> it's true. But what if it's right? You know, the broken clock is right twice a day. It is. We have such a, a yearning to make our lives easier, less complicated, that we want to know the future. And this has been true from the beginning of time, the beginning of human thought that are set. It, it's just a natural way to go. Now, we can in, increase our skepticism, our cynicism, and think more disturbingly about these forecasts to help ourselves not get caught up in the hype. It's all true. But yet we want to know how the future will unfold. It makes our life so much easier, gives us so much you know, greater confidence. And we fall into the trap. And the trap is that those many people who are making the call, again, on oil, on wars, on anything like this, when they're making the call, that's newsworthy. And when you got a 24-hour cycle and you can get a headline out of it, it gets put into a headline. And so that's what we end up with. So we realize that we read what's put out with forecasts. And this is the including things like opinion polls. Opinion polls so often are incorrect, especially when they're dealing with macro issues. But yet, what do we do? We click on them and read them. And when you get clicks, that, you know, that has an economic component to it. And the more clicks, the more likelihood you're going to see. So this is part of the, the information or disinformation world we we live in so we should just ignore forecasts then don't pay attention to them is that what you're telling us <laughs> well there there's a there's a really wishy-washy answer then and it's you know yes and no um let, let me start with uh, why we should not ignore forecasts because as i mentioned if we have the right attitude about forecasts and we have the right level of skepticism then it does help us think through possibilities. And that's useful, that's important. It protects us by thinking through possibilities. It gets us out of a rut, a thinking rut, where we haven't considered possibilities to our detriment. And we think the world's gonna happen a certain way just because it's the way we think or because of the way it's gone. It gets us out of that rut. So that's very important. In fact, in some ways, it's life-saving to start thinking about things, you know, in a different way. If you can imagine what can happen, you know, in driving a car and all these other things, that if you aren't paying attention, you can get caught in some really bad situations. The other thing is it can be useful because it enlivens our creativity. This is sort of the goodness of what the human brain can do. And we can begin to process it and maybe come up with solutions that are very different. If I forecast what I'm going to have for dinner and I realize that I don't have the ingredients for the dinner and I come up with something different because of that and I happen to like it, <laughs> that creativity puts us in a different place. So that's the piece that it helps us to assess risk. And that again, uh, works for our benefit. So why should we ignore forecasts? This is the yes side of your question. Well, because too often forecasts look at things very simplistically in a linear compounded way. I think of um, 
you know, my grandmother years ago used to talk about the fact when she was growing up and they had horses and the population, she lived in the city and the populations were increasing and things. And, you know, they were concerned about how many horses they would need to run the factories and to pull the trolley cars and to get people around. And they were starting to think of, you know, all the land and hay and, and manure and all these things that would go along and, you know, because they projected it linearly. And that's what happens with the price of oil and the price of inflation and the, all these things. It doesn't, things don't happen linearly. They happen very differently like that. So that's one issue with it is don't think things are going to happen in some straight on projection. The other thing is determined somewhat through scientific thought. Is it really a fact or an opinion? Don't take opinions stated as facts as facts. You know, try to apply some 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 thought and some cynicism to it because it's important. Ask yourself, is there a profit motive? Most of these forecasts that hit the headlines, there's a profit motive for the reasons I said, the seven deadly sins of forecasters, if you will. That's good reason to start walking away or stepping back and just thinking about things a little bit differently, maybe a little bit more rationally. Politics, you know, politics money is, a, is an awful, awful coloring of forecasts. And that's where you see the, the politics of the call, that one solution, because they want to get people to think that there is only one solution. Again, that way they can control thought. And that's where disinformation comes into play. And I don't mean necessarily politics in the traditional sense of politicians in elections, but politics in uh, pushing forward a point of view for your benefit or your community's benefit to the detriment of others. Let's talk about using forecasts effectively then. Well, consider the source. We've talked about that. A source should have a clear methodology. They should be willing to publish their methodology. That's scientific thought. If they aren't willing to publish their methodology, then walk away. Focus on probabilities. Spend your time on the higher probabilities because that's where you're going to be most efficient. But focus on the probabilities. If you're not given probabilities, walk away because it's useless. Okay. Those are, those are very important points. When we think about our investing perspective, think about the financial base. Do you have the financial resources to be wrong in what you're applying in the future? If you have the resources to be wrong, you can take possibilities that have lesser likelihood than that. If you don't have the resources, you have to really be focused on the highest one or the most conservative one to do that. And the most important thing is, as you learn, you followed a prediction that was wrong, then learn from it. Learn from it. This is what pollsters have to do. They have to learn from the errors of their ways. And scientists have to learn from the errors of their ways. If you followed a forecaster and he or she was wrong, then don't follow them anymore. Don't read the internet that has led you astray, that's the website. Walk away from it. But it has to be right if it's on the internet, Kirk. Of course, Wendy, as, <laughs> as we say, true. as our world is going down the tubes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So as we finish up, what are your last thoughts then on forecasting? Life is uneven. We have to think through life as a range of possibilities. Let's focus on the things that we can control emphasize our time and attention on those things, the things we can't control, let's produce contingencies. Let's put some money aside to protect ourselves. 
let's not be so aggressive that we risk too much than we're willing to or able to take. And this is everything from, you know, the, the investment we make in relationships to the way we think about our government and all these areas. Let's make sure we tighten up what we're willing to accept if things don't go the way we thought they would. The prediction fails, right? Let's do that. Let's apply Plato where necessity is the mother of invention. If something does go wrong, our prediction, our forecast is wrong. Let's not curl up in a ball on the floor. Let's say, okay, what did we learn from it? And learn, learn. Let's apply the creativity so that we don't fall into that trap or we can lessen the likelihood of falling in that trap. Plan, 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 plan. You can't go wrong in planning. You can be paralyzed by planning, no doubt, but you, the more you can plan, that's where contingencies come from. That's where some of this risk management comes from. And that's very important. And when you think about forecasting with investing, we know we can't predict the future. So we have to focus on the near term. Let's make sure that we have the resources to pay our bills this year and as much of next year as we can and as much of the third year as we can. If we can do that, where we don't have to worry about the loss of money, as we've talked before in these podcasts, we have the money to pay our bills in the horizon that I can control, then all these headlines, we can just let them fall. Let them go because it doesn't really impact our financial life. If it doesn't impact our financial life, then our emotional life is spared. And if our emotional life is spared, our relationships improve and those and things as we go along. It can be a much more peaceful life. A much more peaceful life. And we've talked a lot about that. And peace has value. Oh, let's yeah. Not, let's not lose sight of that. Exactly. Kirk, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate all this information about forecasting, when to listen to them, when not to listen to them, what to keep in mind, and all of the goodness that you shared with us today. All right, Wendy. Have a great day. You too. And thank you for listening. Please like, follow, and share this podcast. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. This is Jeff Hakeem again. Thank you for listening to this episode of our MCM Wealth Podcast. Please click the follow button to be notified of new episodes as they become available. Also, please visit our website at www.mcmwealth.com or call me on my direct line at 415-299-6574 so you and I can have an initial discussion. We look forward to learning about you.